This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Welcome to the Circuit of Success, and thank you for joining me. You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait, but I believe the opposite. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude, a great belief system, and action every single day. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision, that's when greatness happens. Now let's dive right in to this week's guest. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I am your host, Brett Gilliland, and today we have entrepreneur, we have author, we have this guy's done all sorts of stuff, and we're excited to dive in uh, with you today on that. And uh, so, welcome to the show, Jeffrey Shaw. How you doing? I'm awesome, Brett. Really glad to be here with you. Yes, excited to have you. And uh, as always, our listeners know that we just you know we start the show off by letting us know exactly who you are. Obviously, you and I've talked a little bit, but uh, once you let our listeners know who Jeffrey Shaw is, hmm. well, when I figure that out, I'll let you know. So, okay. <laughs> well, who is Jeffrey Shaw? You know, it's I am at heart an entrepreneur. I've never had a job, um, and I that that to me is 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 paramount because. It, it, being an entrepreneur is such a, a mindset. And, you know, honestly, I look back now, I was selling eggs door to door. I lived in the country. So I was selling eggs door to door at 14 years old, borrowing my mother's Cutlass Supreme, driving around streets. It was such a country area that nobody would stop me at 14 years old. I could barely see over the steering wheel. And I would sell <laughs> eggs door to door. And I look back now and I think that part of it actually was based in insecurity because I didn't think I was employable. I just, I was such a shy kid and uh, just kind of doing my own thing. I, I didn't hang out with other kids because I was just, I didn't, I, I just was shy. And, uh, I, you know, I think that all that kind of brought up this entrepreneurial spirit. I just figured I had to figure out a way to do life on my own that I wasn't going to rely on anybody else. I wasn't, wasn't going to rely on my uh, being employable. So, um, you know, the reason that's important to me today is that I am who I am because I was an entrepreneur. And I, to me, and I think it is for a lot of people, being an entrepreneur, being a business owner is the ultimate personal development path, <laughs> right? I mean, I could not agree more. Yeah. I mean, I always say being an entrepreneur is like personal development on steroids. Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> right, You're in therapy every day. Yeah. I am who I am because of, of the path I've walked in and being an entrepreneur. Well, that's great. And so we're going to talk about your book, Lingo, um, you know, here in a little bit, but yeah, let's talk about that because I know in the chapters in your book we talk about mindset and uh, you know before we were recording you and I were talking about how important that really is. I mean, in my daily post on Instagram, I mean the things that that make me tick is the mindset, right? It's all a choice every single day. I can be a victor, I can be a victim. But talk me through your career, thirty three years of being a successful entrepreneur. How mindset's so important to you? Yeah, it, you know, it really is. And and I actually just said to one of my coaching clients the other day, like whenever I hit a business obstacle, I always ramp up my daily practices. Right? That you know, it's it's so often people just turn to solving the problem. I believe in practices and mindset as making sure the path is clear in the first place. It is paramount, actually, to the book Lingo, and and the book, the last section of Lingo, is actually about three mindsets and then three daily practices. And I tried really culling through all the things I've been exposed to in life and deciding that these are the three mindsets and the three uh, practices that really made a difference. And here's why I really fought to have this included in a what was otherwise a very strategic oriented business book. I fought to include this against the advice of professionals uh, who I think eventually agree with me because I think without 
changing your mindset, without having daily practices. And if you just keep applying strategy in business and what you learn, you're caught on the proverbial hamster wheel. You know, I, I talk to entrepreneurs all the time who in one way or another say they're working really hard, but hardly getting ahead. And it's not from a lack of effort. It's not from a lack of work. It's because they're just, they keep layering on the effort, laying on the work, but they're not changing the mindset to unblock what is actually keeping them from their success. And then they're not instilling daily practices to keep the momentum going. And I, you know, so I, I think it's paramount to everything. And you know, I was 20 years old when I started out. Um, I happen to have been a self-development junkie prior to then. I mean, as a kid, I used to read a lot of uh, you know, Wayne Dwyer and books like that. And I'd hide them in my house because I didn't want my parents to think I was any weirder than they already thought. <laughs> so I would read this stuff because I was so amazed by the power of mindset. But you know, Brett, here's the crazy thing, and I'm sure you see this too. When you ask people for you know what is a recommended book, how often we hear "Think and Grow Rich," right? That is like yep. one of the most popular books. Classic, right? It's a fantastic book written in 1937. And we're still talking about mindsets. Like this book was written so long ago. It's all about the mindsets of success, and we're still talking about it. <laughs> so no, you're right. you know, I, I think, you know, and I maybe we always will. It is human nature to work against ourselves. But man, if you want to be successful as an entrepreneur, you've got to unblock the mindsets that are keeping success out of your way. And then you have to instill daily practices to create a positive flow. Then you apply the strategies and that's how you get off the proverbial hamster wheel. So what were those three mindsets? What would you articulate those to be? Number one is what? Number one is it actually, I refer to it as a validation paradox. You know, it's, it's because, uh, Especially nowadays, we're so often told to find our why, to uh, you know, discover your purpose in life. But here's the thing, Brett: the paradox of that is, is that while we're trying to find ourselves, we eventually realize we can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. So we realize that in order to really go beyond our own expectations, because think about it: expectation inherently is a predetermined outcome. So even when we say I'm going to exceed my expectations, you've already determined what you think you're capable of in life. Right. Mm-hmm. So the only way we can really, the, the paradox of validation is that we're trying to validate ourselves, find ourselves, but we actually need other people. We need other people who can see more in us than we can see in ourselves. Right. So yeah. that's, that's a big part. So that's why, you know, the whole premise of lingo is about working with your ideal customers. And there, I could give you hundreds of reasons why you want to work with your ideal customers. Certainly one is that it's the easiest and most profitable way to a successful business. But the other less obvious reason is because when you work only with your ideal customers, you rise beyond your pre-established expectation of yourself. You are naturally more as pulled out of you. So that's one thing. It's like I'm a firm believer in making sure you surround yourself with people who can see more in you than you can see in yourself. Yeah, I think that's huge because I, you know, I've been doing uh, I've been in the financial services industry for 17 years and you know, what I found is as you can get more into an, a niche, the more successful you become because you are meeting with the people that you enjoy being with. And I know your story, you know, you talked about you, you were trying to start this photography business and you were barking up the wrong tree, yeah. right? So walk, walk us through that and looking at it from your own world, but even our world or, you know, you're an attorney trying to be an attorney to all sorts of people or a doctor to all sorts of people. Why is it crucial 
to have that niche market. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about niche because I actually have a whole different reframe on niche. What I refer to in the in lingo is the new niche because I, I don't like the old definition of niche. So <laughs> we can come we okay, can come back good. to that and talk about that. But while why it's important, you know, in, in, uh, something I make clear in in lingo is. Uh, the idea of busting up the Pareto principle, or most people know as the 80-20 rule. Not that yep. it's not valid, but here's what's critical about that. It is such a noisy market. You know, everybody in competition is at an all-time high because you're not just competing in your own industry. You're competing with the way people want to spend their money, right? We're also We're also being evaluated against what, you know, we're small businesses, we're entrepreneurs, but yet our level of customer service is being evaluated against you know, Zappos and the top companies, right? right? So we're no longer compared to apples to apples. So the bottom line is it is freaking hard to get a customer today. One customer at a time or thousands of customers, it doesn't matter. It is hard to get noticed and it's hard to get them. So in my viewpoint, I look at it and say, we don't have time for eight out of 10 customers to not pay off. We need every customer to pay off. And the, the solution and the way to get every customer to pay off is to only work with your ideal customers. The path to that is what I refer to as the secret language. It is getting to know your ideal customer. What makes them ideal is not just who they are, but who are you best for, right? Who are you really suited to serve? How can you build an amazing business for that ideal customer that you shine above everybody else where price becomes basically irrelevant because they feel so much that you get them that they want to do business with you, right? And then you, the result is you end up with a business where almost all of your customers are your ideal customers. It is by far the, the fastest road to a profitable business. What I refer to as a customer-centric business business. Not that it focuses on customer service, that's a part of it, but customer centric is actually building the business for your ideal customer instead of the business you want, which is what I did. That's why I was barking up the wrong tree. I built the business I wanted and then I spent three years trying to fit people in it who had no interest in in what I was offering. <laughs> you know, and then I realized oh, I'm barking up the wrong tree. I'm not I didn't get at that time the idea of secret language. I just knew I was barking up the wrong tree. I was trying to sell something to the wrong right. people and I had to find the right people. The challenge was the right people were not, they were affluent. It was a lifestyle I didn't understand. I didn't come from that. I had to learn it. Right. It is. It's a, it is learned. That's a learned uh, learned opportunity for our businesses. We'll come back to the second and third mindsets in a second, but I'm I'm curious. So if, if that person is driving down the road, listening to the podcast right now, and they're like, okay, great. I hear that. My ideal customer. How do I know what my ideal customer is? How do, what's the exercises I can go through to define what my ideal customer is? Yeah. Well, you know, and the, the, the first step is a step that seems to be over, always overlooked. And it is looking at yourself for, first. Like really understanding, you know, I'm a firm believer in not necessarily changing who you already are. Right? I think yeah. one of the greatest frustrations, you know, and I work with a lot of, I don't want to say just creatives because they're not just all traditional creatives, but, you know, creative thinking people. And even if they don't necessarily, that's what I don't, I don't love the term creative entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs don't think they're creative and creatives don't think they're entrepreneurs. <laughs> but, right. you know, there's tons of creative thinkers in business today creating some really cool things. What I refer to as kind of the uncommon entrepreneur. And, you know, what I, something I hear all the time is I hate the business side. You probably hear it too. People say, oh, yeah. oh, I hate yep. the business side. You know, they love what they do. They love what they create, but they hate the business side. I think the reason most people hate the business side is because they haven't been allowed to be in business in a way that's natural and comfortable to them. So to determine your ideal customer, step number one is whom are you for? 
but from the perspective of you know who would love who you are who would love what you have to offer what's your skill set who would love that what are your natural innate characteristics you know if you're somebody who has a very curt or you know sharp sense of humor that's not for everybody you know good point I, something i always point out is like i am an incredibly detailed person i would drive a lot of people crazy <laughs> right yes. so you know but hey you know what it was a perfect fit for the affluent clientele who lived the perfect life that I served as a photographer. Like what an awesome fit to be the guy that notices every detail is five steps ahead of your customers. That's like the perfect innate quality to have if you're going to serve an affluent clientele. So you first want to understand what are your innate ways of being? What are you really good at? And one of the quick uh, tools that I, I offer to my coaching clients is make a list of things that you have been complimented on probably most of your life. And you'll realize sometimes there's like one or two things that people have always commented, complimented you on that you probably brush off. Like, ah, that's, you know, like I'm a neat freak. When people tell me I'm neat, I'm like, yeah, well, is there any other way of being? Right. When you have that essence, you just brush it off. It's a really good indicator that that's something that, that people value in you. They see in you your ability to, like a friend of mine, I pointed out to her that, man, she has an unbelievable ability to cut to the chase. Right. I mean, she just That's can, great perspective, right? She can just cut right through. When I mentioned it to her, she said, oh yeah, everybody comes to me for that. You know, it's no big deal. I'm like, of course it's no big deal. It's like her gift, right? She doesn't see it, but that, you know, that's, it's, you want to own those. Then you want to ask yourself who would love that? Who would love that trait? Who would love your skill set? Then you define your audience. And that's how you begin the process of defining your ideal customer. It really does have to start with you and whom you're best for. And then who would want that? And now you've got, okay, this is the audience. How can I understand their secret language? How can I get into their whole way of being and speak to their heart and make them feel like I totally get who they are? And they in turn will feel like they get you because you've got these shared innate characteristics and shared values. It's beautiful. I'm pausing. I'm, I'm making a note and I will forget. Um, so that's great. Um, thank you for that. I like that. So second mindset. What's the second mindset out of your three? You know, uh, this is a hard one for me. I'm going to just be vulnerable and admit right up front. But it's do you believe there are forces working on your behalf? You know, and, and you can attach whatever label you want to that, whether it's spirit, universe, God, you know, it doesn't have to be any of that. It just, do you innately believe there are forces working on your behalf? And this is hard for me because I think it's hard for a lot of entrepreneurs because we're used to taking, like I said, I've been taking care of myself since 14 years old. We're really hard workers as entrepreneurs and business owners. Sometimes we feel like, you know, if, if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. And if you hear yourself saying that, you have to ask yourself, do you believe there are forces working on your behalf? Because if you think that it's only going to get done if you do it, you're not believing that there's any level of support. And I think that is critical to get, to go beyond your expectations. You have to believe there's something bigger at force here than yourself. And I, like I said, I don't choose to even I, determine what it is, but there has to be something bigger than you to right. help you be bigger. I a thousand percent agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's, and then the, the, the uh, third, uh, which man, I have to catch people on this all the time is to be highly conscious of your views of others. You know, Brett, here's the thing. I, like I said, as a photographer, I served an affluent clientele. I grew up lower middle class. I heard every negative stereotype there was about rich people you could imagine, right? Sure. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're raised by, their kids are raised by nannies. They have cocaine in bowls in the bathroom. I don't know where that one came from. Right. You know, they have lots of money, but they're not really happy. And um, thankfully, 
I guess this made me more curious than anything. And what I found when I worked with this clientele and have for 30 years is none of them are true. They are the just most awesome people. Like they're because of their money, they had the freedom to prioritize their life and their priority is their children. Like these are families that they're so focused on their kids and they may open up best opportunities for the kids and they are unbelievable contributors to their communities and raising money. And I mean, I always said the result of that is I, I feel like I have the most naive view of the world because I worked with such awesome, caring people. What I find a lot of people, you know, people will harbor this negative view of the people they actually want to benefit from. And I just, it's wrong. Like you can't have a negative view of the people that you want to serve, or if you want to become successful, if you want to become wealthy, why have a negative opinion of that of which you want to become? It just, that's what, it's one of the major forces. I was talking earlier about what causes, what blocks success. This is the mindset I think that blocks most success. Uh, you know, I, I worked in, I've worked in a restaurant when I was a kid, you know, really young. Um, you know, you'd hear the customers would be catered on in the, in the front of the restaurant. And then people would be saying nasty things in the kitchen, you know, and, and, and in my businesses, I have never allowed that. Not as a photographer, not as a business coach, not, not as anything that I've done. There is no negativity allowed about the people that we're serving. Yep. It's a major block to your own success and people don't even see it because they actually hold a negative opinion of that which they want to become. Well, it's that law of attraction, right? I mean, if you're attracting that by putting it out there, then it's you're going to attract more of it, and you're going to attract more of those clients. Yeah, it, it's such a break of integrity that I just it it just can't work. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so you talk about your five step process to develop what what you call the secret language of your ideal customers. Let's walk through that. I was fascinated sure. by that when I uh, started reading about that. Cool. So the first step, which is really uh, the basis of of the remaining steps, because you have to start with the first step, which is understanding their perspective, like whom, whomever it is that you're going to serve, whether it is in, like in my case, it was an affluent clientele. If it's, you know, a demographic that's younger than you, whoever it is that you feel you are best suited, you've discovered that they are your ideal customer by looking at yourself, defining who they are, you have to understand their perspective. You know, in today's world, we hear a lot of businesses talking about millennials and I, I, I will, I have three millennials, so I take it personal when I hear all this negativity about millennials, <laughs> you know, right. because I just don't, that's not, I don't view, I don't share that viewpoint. I think the millennial generation is awesome. Like what I, of, of, I often say is I think they're the first generation to have the audacity to not settle. That's why, right. that's why they tick us off. That's why they tick us middle-aged people off because they're the first generation to say, no, I want it all and good for them. They want to be happy. And if they're not happy in the relationships, they move on. They want to see the whole world like good for them, right? So if you're serving millennials, which many of us will be in the future, there are major buying force coming through. You have to understand their perspective. You have to understand the way they think. You have to understand, you know, I've been fascinated by Snapchat, Insta stories and Facebook lives. Like I'm fascinated by a generation who, especially as a photographer, whose my life has been about preserving moments. And there's this entire generation coming through that is really into temporary, like 24 hours later, it's gone. I'm fascinated by that. And you know what? I actually like it. When I understood their perspective, I like it because what it, they're literally picking and choosing what's really relevant and meaningful in life. And that concert they're going to, that they're live streaming on Facebook, they're just, they just want to share the moment with their friends. But it's not something they feel they have to hold on to for their whole life. 
And then there are other things that they will turn to, like a, you know, a sports memorabilia that they will treasure passionately because it means the world to them. They're picking and choosing really, I think, from a place of value of what's meaningful to them. And they are the generation that they will travel to Thailand or wherever they're going, and they will treasure the, the experiences. They will collect momentums, but at the same time, they're just you know doing Snapchat and it's gone in 24 hours. They're picking and choosing what's really valuable in life. And I like to be that. in the moment a little bit more. Yeah, they're more in the moment. So I said, if you're whatever, who, whoever it is that you're serving, it is imperative to really understand their perspective and with empathy, compassion, non-judgment. As I was saying a moment ago, you know, it's it's. And I think it's one of the most generous acts we can do as business owners and entrepreneurs is to actually, with a deep level of empathy and compassion, really understand the perspective of the people we're going to serve. Awesome. So that's the first well, step. Yeah. Step two, you talk about creating familiarity. Yeah. I, talk about that. This is actually one of my favorites because familiarity creates comfort and who doesn't like comfort, right? Um, yep. You know, that's what traditions are steeped in. Traditions feel good because it's comfort. And, uh, you know, what I try to guide people in doing and developing their business and this idea of secret language is, you know, not that you don't want to copy what other people are doing. But the more you understand the perspective of the people you're serving, the more you understand what's already familiar to them, right? So you don't make a huge departure from it. If someone's really, you know, if if the way that they currently shop, the brands that they currently interact with, if what they're used to is, you know, a high-end clean look, then you want to create that same level of comfort when they visit your website, your promotional materials, or your brick and mortar. Right. Familiarity is is powerful. And it not only creates comfort, which I think in itself is really, like I said, we're drawn to comfort. Um, it also stands out. You know, I tell a story in, in Lingo about uh, sitting down at, uh, at an airplane and a guy was, the guy next to me was reading a book by a podcast guest that my team had just let me know the day before that he, they had booked. And I didn't know the author or the book. And here this guy's reading the book. Right. But because that book was now familiar to me, I sparked up a conversation with this guy. And, you know, four years later, we're close business associates. We had a whole conversation around this book. <laughs> now, it's because that familiarity was pointed in my mind. You know, if you travel, you travel to Europe, you can't, you can't not see Starbucks logo in Italy <laughs> or any other right. country. You can't right. not see it. Right. Because it's so familiar to us. So familiarity creates comfort, it stands out. That's a great one. I like that. I like that too. So step three, present your business in the style of your ideal customer. I thought this one was huge yeah. uh, because it is. Man. If if they expect, you know, I'm putting my hands up here, really up here, like high, and, and we're presenting down low on something that does not hit their expectations, I'm going to lose every time. Yeah. It, right. It, so talk to us about that. It's one of the biggest breaks that I see in, in a business. Uh, so often people come to me frustrated as all get out that they're not working with their ideal customer, which is the whole goal of lingo, right? They're, they're frustrated. They're not working with their ideal customers. And the more I understand their processes, even their price point, then I look at the style of what they're putting out in the world. And I'm like, well, there's the break. You're putting yourself out there as dollar store, but you're actually high end. You know, or vice versa. They they try to create a cachet of being high end, but they're actually more affordable than that. So they're that it's one of the biggest breaks. And it's it's interesting to me how style is so surface level that I think sometimes it gets overlooked in business conversations because you know, maybe we're a little yeah. uncomfortable being so shallow. But here is the the bottom line, and you know, I just cut to the chase because I want your listeners to be successful. The bottom line style is the decision maker, and we are all participating in every day, all day long. We walk down Main Street USA, we decide instantly what stores are right for us and which aren't based on what? 
style, right? Abercrombie and Fitch is not my thing. Ted Baker is, right? I can look at the storefront. I can look at the logo, the font, the window displays and know instantly that's right for me. And I feel the same way when I come across a brand that I may have never heard of before, but, you know, or or even a store, like your body will be, you know, turned and, and drawn to that store because it's in your style. Right? And we and it is a quick decision maker, and it's important for businesses to understand how they put them put themselves out in the world through their brand image, through their website, their marketing materials. That the style that they want to communicate is in the language of the the style of their ideal customer. Right, and again, whether we want to admit it or not, we're all judging very quickly, like you said, just at the storefront. Right, the font of the logo that somebody's deciding right now, driving down the road, that they're going to start a new business, just the font on that logo will attract or repel people. Absolutely. When's the last time papyrus has impressed anybody, right? right. I mean, it's such an outdated, you know, font, yeah. you know, and it is, it's as simple as that, but it's a critical to know because as you just mentioned, how quickly we make decisions. I mean, we have zero attention span these days, you know, and I flip through like when I travel a lot and, and when I'm looking for hotels, it is insane how quick I flip through hotel websites and will instantly decide on the one that's right for me based on what totally on style. I like a contemporary hotel. I want it to be, you know, super clean. I don't, I don't care about the history, total judgment right up front, you know, and that that's the way we make decisions. So step four, attract your ideal customer with price. Yeah. Yeah. This, and this is a big one. It relates to style too, because your style should indicate your price point. As like I said, it's one of the biggest breaks I see because pricing creates perception. You can completely position your business in whatever market you want totally based on pricing, what the prices are and also how they look. Walmart is, is, you know, is incredibly effective at drawing forward the cost conscious customer. That's all they talk about, right? They run entire ad campaigns about right. rollback yep. prices. The prices, everything in that store, to the best of my knowledge, is priced to the 100th of a cent, you know, 1897, <laughs> because they right. want you to, they want you to feel that you are not paying more than 100 of a cent more than you should, right? right. Complete opposite of that. You'll go to a high-end restaurant. There isn't even, there aren't even prices on the menu, right? You know, or a high-end store. Like in my, I had to really learn this again, Brett, as I said, I was, you know, lower middle class at best growing up. And then when I wound up serving this, this affluent clientele and studying the, the heck out of the brands that customers would go to, um, one thing I observed is that the pricing was all just rounded off. There was a vagueness about it, right? Because you don't want to bring consciousness to it. And I, one of the most, my, the most fun observations, you know, I, I was explaining this to somebody the other day and he, he had the best reaction. He's like, I'm not going to be able to unsee the secret language anymore. Like once I pointed certain things out, he's like, I, I won't be able to unsee it anymore. This is something I find kind of fascinating. If you go into, you know, Walmart, Target, you go into your, your, a, a, you know, nice store, a decent store who's serving the masses. First thing you walk in the store you know, there might be a greeter, but beyond the greeter, what's the first thing you see? A huge lineup of cash registers. Yep. Right? Right up front. There's no, you know, there's no hiding. This is a transactional relationship. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and you're going to hand over your money right here. You go into a high-end store, especially the, a super high-end store, you will be hard-pressed right. to even find a register. Right. It, they completely remove the cost consciousness. The registers are, you know, hidden behind merchandise. They're, they're around a corner. They're in a back room. Think about even like an Apple now, right? Apple, yes. they just fly it around on their phones it, or in their pockets. Exactly. You don't even find a cash. It's like this relationship thing going on. You walk into a diner. What, what happens when you walk into a diner? The, re, the cash registers right there. 
a nicer dining, finer dining. You're sitting on the table, you put your credit card on a leather folio and somebody escapes to a back room with it. Right. It's, there's, you know, it's, it's a language. Like who do you, can you imagine walking into a five-star restaurant and instead of the host is standing there, there's a register. It would be such a break in what I refer to as the secret language where everything lines up. So pricing is incredibly powerful in how it can create the perception of your business. And as I said, done well, it actually attracts your ideal customer. You'll attract the customer who wants to go to a restaurant without prices on the menu, or do you want to attract the customer that is incredibly cost conscious? So you want to talk about discounts and, you know, but if you don't want that customer, you don't want to talk about discounts. You want to talk about upgrades, <laughs> right? Right. I, it's funny. I went. I was in my early twenties, and I went in. This could be like my first nice car purchase, right? I won't say what the brand was, but first nice car purchase. And you know, I'm sitting here. I'm asking the sales guys some questions, and I said, "What? What's the gas mileage like on this?" And he goes, "I have no idea." He goes, "People that buy these cars don't worry about gas prices." Yeah. And I'm like. Oh, good point. Yeah. I'm like, I, maybe I'm not ready for that world yet, but it did attract me more to want that car, yeah. right? Based on his response. Yeah. Well, how often we've heard that, you know, whatever it is in life, if you have to, people say, well, if you have to ask, you're not the right customer, right? Yep. If you have to ask, like if you have to, if you have to ask about the price, it's probably not for you. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. I didn't buy the car that day, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So step five, uh, speak to your ideal customer with the words that you choose. Yeah. Well, I figure you can't write a word called lingo without talking about words, <laughs> but right. words are, you know, I, I think we overlook the power of it. And uh, I, I compare them like smoke signals. You know, the words that you use in your marketing material, again, have to speak the secret language of your ideal customer. I mentioned a moment ago, the difference between discount and upgrade, right? Very powerful difference. As a, as a photographer serving an affluent clientele, I never talked about discount, right? I would upgrade you know, if I ran um, and I did occasionally, you know, run a, a special, if you will, where uh, if they, the way most businesses would think, so just let's just walk through this. If you were offer, if you want to offer a special deal, let's say people paid a thousand dollars, most people would say, you know, pay a thousand dollars, get twenty percent off, right? Well, it's actually that's going in the wrong direction for the, for the affluent clientele. Instead, you want to do an upgrade. So what I would do is I'd say, well, if you prepay $1,000 towards a future portrait session, I will increase the value by 20%, right? So now the, the you know, it's worth $1,200. So right. going in the upgrade direction, the power of words is, is, like I said, I think it's often overlooked in such a critical part. And, and probably my favorite uh, teaching that I offer in lingo is what I refer to as self-identifying questions. So this is something your listeners can just really think about driving along or whatever. I mean, I, I love this. And again, you can only understand the power of self-identifying questions until you've understood their perspective. Self-identifying questions is a, a marketing strategy of posing the questions that completes the conversation in the mind of your ideal customer. But you have to understand what's going on in their mind. You have to understand what they're thinking and then pose a question that stops them in their tracks. So I'll give you an example. One of my favorite examples actually is a coaching client of mine who is what I refer to as kind of a virtual assistant matchmaker. Okay, She matches businesses up with the perfect virtual assistant. And tends to was tending to market herself as you know how to hire the how to hire a virtual assistant. There's really not a whole lot compelling about that, and the problem is most people don't know the solution they need. So what I had suggested to her in this idea of a self-identifying question is posing the question. Now imagine you're you're let's say you you left your business, you're 
you're frazzled, you get in your car, you're driving down the road and you know there's a billboard that says how to hire a VA. You're going to drive right by it. But now, right. different day, you leave work, you're frazzled, you're overwhelmed, you're, you're not going to make dinner with your family one more time. You get on the road, you drive past a billboard and it says, do you want to get your life back? Which is going to stop you? Right. Yep, that one. That's going to stop you in your tracks. Do you want to get your life back? You know, call and call this number, you know, or go to this website and you go and you realize, oh, the solution is to hire a VA. Right. So you're not, you're not selling the solution yet. You're stopping people in their tracks with very clever self-identifying questions that completes the conversation that's in people's minds. You know, something I use often in, uh, my coaching is I will, I might say something like, um, you know, or like I even said before, one of my self-identifying questions is often, are you tired of working really hard, but hardly getting ahead? I have a solution for that. Right. Um, or, you know, have you reached a plateau and you know, you're capable of more, you just don't know how to get there. I have a solution for that. Right. So that's the point of the self-identifying questions. Truly, it's been a, a marketing game changer for so many people that I've worked with. Yeah, that's huge. That's, I'm, I'm answering some of those questions right now. <laughs> like I said, you, you truly can't do it unless you've done step one. Like you have to really right. understand the mindset of the millennials or whoever you're serving. You have to understand their mindset in order to uh, to really pose the question that's on their mind. No, and you're absolutely right. I mean, that, that number one is huge, the way you've explained it, that understanding their perspective. Because each person is going to be different, right? If I have a client walking in here that's 100 million or a person that has 100,000, we're, we're going to serve those people those mindsets are completely different. Yeah. And I, you know, I think it's also important for people to understand that in this, this to me is one of the greatest paradoxes of, of business. And I still don't know if I have the right words to explain it, but there's this, the paradox is that it is, it is going to continue to get more necessary that we treat people as individuals, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, how we email, we're, we're not going to get away with in the future, we're not going to get away with, you know, one email f- suits all like we have to start segmenting our email list and speaking the secret language of because I work with people who are startups. And I work with people who have been in business for 10 years, 20 years, right as a, as a business coach. And we're in the process of, you know, I wish I had known this in the beginning, but I think it's important to segment your list. So if I send out an email, I can speak what is a more likely the language of a startup versus, you know, because to a startup, I would say something like, you know, let me, you know, work to work with me as your coach and I will shave years off of you figuring it out. As opposed to somebody who's been in business 20 years, as I have been, I say, I totally get it. I've been there too. Anybody that's been in business more than 20 years really needs to re- reinvent themselves. Yep. I can help you, right? So very different language, even if in the end, the work is very similar, but it's a very different language. So the paradox is that while on one hand, we have to treat people as individuals. The other just fact of life is that, you know, target audiences, if you will, your ideal customers have common traits. And so I worked with, as a photographer, I worked with affluent people, whether they were in, you know, Connecticut or California almost didn't matter. So much of their lifestyle, what what they valued in life was very common and that's in common. And that's what, that's why I excelled as a photographer because their biggest value, the biggest value of affluent people is their long-term thinkers. They can afford to be right. They can afford to hire a photographer because they're already thinking about handing that photograph down to their children, right? They can afford, you know, from the 
before that child's even born, they're getting ready to send that child off to an Ivy League school, right? They, they have life insurance. They're able, and that was something I fundamentally didn't understand growing up lower middle class because I didn't have any of that. There was no planning for the future because you're worrying about day to day. So that is a common value that is true amongst the audience that I served. So it, while I may, may treat each individual in a special way, there are commonalities in your amongst your ideal customers. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a little bit of a dance we do in business all the time. Deep thoughts here with Jeffrey Shaw. I like this. This is good. <laughs> so talk to us about that new niche. You mentioned it earlier yeah. that you don't like the old definition. This is the new definition of the new niche. What is it? Yeah, it's uh, the new niche is your area of expertise. You know, I, I, there's so many, again, I don't know if you saw the report from CNN that by 2030, 60% of the U S economy will be driven by freelancers, you know, independents, entrepreneurs, 60%. It's huge. You know, how we get there is finally the world is going to be dominated by creative thinkers, not just, you know, the, the app developers, not just artists, but the app developers, people with creative solutions, people wanting to do really cool things to tell them to pick one thing to do is torture let alone you you must find one audience that wants that. It's a very restrictive model and I think it's a little outdated because I actually think it's dangerous. I mean, not too many of us can survive in business today on one income stream and hold our breath that some technology doesn't come along to replace that. Right? We we need a diversified business model to begin with, multiple streams of income. So instead, we can embrace the multiple things we're passionate about, but it has to be grounded on something. It's what I refer to as the new niche, as your, which is your area of expertise. You know, my area of expertise is coaching entrepreneurs who are in an uncommon business. The one I coach people across a huge range of, of from photographers to podcasters to other coaches, designers, etc. The one thing they all have in common: the people I work with are amazingly talented at something, and they probably have a good education in it. But whatever they're whatever they're talented in, there's no business training for it. There's no business. You go to coaching school to be a good coach. There's no training. There's no business for that, right? So my area of expertise is not coaching just photographers or just coaches. It's coaching uncommon entrepreneurs. So once you own your area of expertise, you then can start thinking extremely horizontal and you realize, oh, there are multiple audiences that need that support or need that product. Right. Apple, you know, I try not to use Apple as an example because it's so overused, but this is one area that it's impossible to ignore Apple because they've done this so well. They own the cool technology space. They made that very clear in the commercials a number of years ago with, you know, I am a PC and I'm a Mac. They made it very clear they are the cool technology. And that's the space they own. And they're so good at that, that they can create everything from, you know, computers to music devices to now self-driving cars. And we trust and buy them all because we, we give them the trust they deserve for owning that area of expertise. So again, if you own your area of expertise, it's actually expansive. They didn't have to be known just for computers. Nope. Yeah, no, they're dominating. Absolutely. And, and, and it's to your point earlier on pricing, you could put the phone at $999 for the X but they want to put it at a thousand. So you feel like you're paying more. And what do we all go do? We go buy it. Yeah. Plus it's just, you know, but again, the price, it's speaking to the intelligent shop. If you, to price things. And again, it works if this is who you're reaching. If you want to be cost conscious, price it at $9.99. Or if you think you want to be clever, but you know, if you want the smart consumer, they know there's no difference between $9.99 and a thousand. So just speak to them smart. Right. Just call it a thousand. Don't insult them. <laughs> Don't insult them. We all know right. it's a dollar difference. Right. You're not kidding exactly. us anymore. So just yeah. call it what it is. 
So if you were to boil your success just in your own career over that 33 years of being an entrepreneur, and um, what would you boil that success down? What's the one thing you would say, this is what made me successful? You know, honestly, it is that I, I have always only worked with the ideal customer. You know, I just set out right in the beginning and, and thankfully, you know, because one of the resistance I hear to that all the time is, yes, but I need the business. You know, how do I say no? It's like, well, you know what? If you build a business around your ideal customer, if you speak their secret language, guess who's going to show up at your door? Only your ideal customer. If you're speaking their language, that's who shows up. So therefore, you're really not saying no to a lot of people. You know, what I like to say is, is when you speak the secret language of your ideal customer, it magnetizes your ideal customer and filters out the rest. And it is by far the quickest and most profitable, you know, path to business is just work with your ideal customer so that every customer pays off. You're not overworking, you're not stressing yourself out. You know, every every entrepreneur I've ever spoken to knows the feeling that when you work with, you know, there are some customers you work with that you make the most amount of money with and they were the easiest to work with. And on the other hand, the customers that you bent over backwards, drove yourself crazy for, they were the least profitable. So there's the answer. It's like just right. work with the just make sure you're 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 speaking the secret language of your ideal customer, and that's all you work with. I that's why I'm that's why I wrote the book. I just want to pound this home because that's why I was successful as both a photographer and a business coach and anything I've done. I've just honed in on who can I talk to, who will who will get me, and who will I get? Right. Yeah. I mean, you find that in any career, right? You take a doctor, for example. The ones that make the most money are the ones that have a niche. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's reality. So let's talk about the the businesses that you're in and all the stuff you're doing right now. What what are the rituals that you would say daily? Because I'm a big fan of the daily mindset, but also the daily habits. What were you, what would you find were the daily habits? No miss items for Jeffrey Shaw. Well, there are three th- three things that I do every day. Um, one is uh, I, I do live by affirmations. You know, and I'm both. A, I always say I'm kind of a woo woo guy, but also extremely practical. And you know, the practical side of me really tried hard to not believe that affirmations could work. <laughs> mm-hmm. But there's just too much scientific evidence and evidence in my life that they work. So yeah. I try to to always own an affirmation that that I just, you know, I really own and it brings forward to me what I want. So uh, and I believe in constant reputation. I walk my dogs every morning. I have two dogs and I walk them for about 40 minutes every morning. And to the rest of the world it looks like I'm walking my dogs, but to me it's a walking affirmation. I'm literally repeating my affirmation in my mind almost the entire 40 minutes. Right? Just kind of drilling it in. It's also my go-to, you know, throughout the day. Um, so that's that's one and that's just like a tape running in the back of my mind at all times. Second, something I totally made up and it is by far my favorite thing that I do every day. And it's called a what's going right journal. Uh, I, I was always stumped by gratitude journals. I have to be honest with you. I, I, and I don't want to yeah. diss gratitude or, I mean, that sounds awful, right? Let's diss gratitude. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I just, it never worked for me. I, it didn't work for me to journal gratitude because I think innately I'm pretty grateful for everything. I'm grateful I woke up in the morning. I'm grateful I'm breathing. I'm grateful. But so I, it didn't create a tangible result for me. I was looking for something else. And what I discovered was that when I journaled what's going right in my life, I got more of what was going right. And Mm -hmm. it's the biggest, I call it the flow maker. Like nothing has created a positive flow more than the what's going right journal. How could it not? If you're only noticing what's going right, because, you know, Brett, you know how it goes, us humans, you could hear 10 compliments, one insult. We only remember the insult. 
Yep. <laughs> right. So how do we change that? Well, we start focusing what's going right. Right. So every morning, and I actually have a two-step process. I wake up in the morning I, and I try to think what's going right. And I actually struggle with it. I struggle with finding what's going right. And then I walk my dogs. I repeat my affirmations. And then on that walk, I start realizing, oh, well, this is going right. Oh man, I met that person. This person introduced me to that person. That was awesome. You know, I sold some books today. So I come back, you know, I usually will dictate it into my phone, but then I come back and I like to actually handwrite it into a journal. Truly nothing has created a more positive flow than what's going right. Throughout the rest of the day, I start seeing more of what's going right. It's like, I notice that more than the criticism now. And that third thing is what? The third thing is productivity begins the night before. I'm a huge you know, believer in being productive. I need to get, as a lot of us do, we need to get tons done in the course of a day. You can't start your day off being productive. You have to start productivity starts the night before. So for me, that means, you know, setting an alarm for when I should go to bed, not when I'm going to wake up, right? Go to bed at the right hour. So you're rested. So, you know, go to bed at the right hour. So you're well rested. Um, before I lay my head down, I glance at what's on the agenda for the next day. I don't want to, I don't want to worry about it. I don't do it for, but just before I kind of lay my head down, I just kind of say, oh, this is, this is what I'm mentally preparing for, for tomorrow. And then I, I kind of place an intention in my mind. There has actually been science proven that the idea of, you know, sleep on it actually works. Let your conscious, unconscious mind go to work for you a little bit. So if I, if I need a solution to a problem or if I need a creative idea, I just implant the request. Like, hmm, I need a solution to this. I need a clever subject line for an email I'm sending out tomorrow. Just plant the idea and let your unconscious mind while at rest kind of go to it for it. That's when you, that I believe is why the ideas pop into your head in the shower, right? It's not right. just the effect of the shower. It's the idea has been planted in the first place. So I'm a That's huge good. fan of just embracing the idea that productivity begins the night before so that you, when you wake up, you're already underway. Couldn't agree more. That's the last thing I do before I go to bed is look at my look at my calendar the next day and just kind of go to bed, breathe, and think about yep. it. So great. We're in line there. So I'm going to ask you the fear question I talk to everybody about. So uh, fear obviously can be part of our life, right? Some are some are more fearful than others, um, but I think most people will put some fears into their minds, right? And so think back in your success and, and you think back to the fears you put into your mind. Um, one, is that a big part of your life? And then number two, how many of the fears you put into your mind actually came true to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? You know, I have to be really honest with you that I, I well, and it does answer one of your questions. I don't live with a lot of fear, you know, Good. Uh, in a business sense. I hate snakes, not a fan of heights. Like, you know, I have, <laughs> I have those fears, Right. <laughs> but when it comes to business and here's why, and I honestly don't know where this came from. I don't know if it was advice from my father. I don't know if I made it up, but I live my life by this idea that you make a decision and make it right. I just don't get hung up on was it the right decision or wrong decision. I just fight like heck to make it the right decision. Like this is the decision I made. I, I was telling you before we started speaking how I, on a whim, moved to Miami Beach from Manhattan. You know, and believe me, it was very disruptive. You know, I... I I had, I have, a, I still have photography clientele up north. I have three kids. I have an, an eighty-year-old mother. It was disruptive, but you know what? I made the decision. You know, sure, I had a moment of what did I just do? I mean, it was incredibly quick, and within, right. you know, I decided to stay, and within three days, had a home, and then thought, well, now I have to make it right. So I've not lived with a lot of fear. Um, but I also don't think fear is anything to be avoided. And and you know, most of the people that I speak to, uh, like myself, or some, you know, between 30 and 60, I know we're, you know, 
we're mature enough. And one thing I think is very different about fear at our age is that I actually think fear is the indicator you're going in the right direction. Like wherever I see fear, like right now, hey, my I just launched a book. You know, it, 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 if there's ever a time I was going to feel fearful, I mean, I've invested a boatload of money, time, energy uh, into this book. And if there's ever been a time that fear would be legitimate, it would be now. It would be this feeling like, what if I find out that, you know, I'm not popular? What if I find out people don't like it? You know, it's all this fear. But now, it, more than anything, it's an indicator I'm going in the right direction. That's, I said, that's exactly where I need to be going. Walk in that direction, right? I want to do big things. So fear now shows up, whereas a teenager, fear showed up probably to save my life. Now fear shows up for most of us as entrepreneurs, like keep going, go in that direction. That's great. So tell us about the book, uh, Lingo. Where can we find it? Obviously, I'm assuming all major uh, book places, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Yes. and uh, But we've also put together a page just for uh, your show and your listeners because there's a great oh, Lingo yeah. Media Kit there. So they can get the, the Lingo Media Kit um, at uh, jeffreyshaw.com forward slash circuit of success. So jeffreyshaw.com. You and I are talking about the incorrect spelling of Jeffrey. It's J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, <laughs> jeffreyshaw.com forward slash circuit of success. And there they'll find the Lingo Media Kit where I've I've created a, an infographic of the secret language strategy. So it's visual. So now you, oh, you know, five-step process. There's also a free chapter of the book. And then as a fellow podcaster, I'm actually really excited about the audio version of the free chapter because we've really kicked it up a notch. It has sound effects. I go into more stories in the audio than I do in the book. Uh, more detail, more content. So uh, all the, yeah, that can all be found on the Lingo Media Kit. Well, thank you for putting that together, Jeffrey Shaw. We greatly appreciate it. And it's been awesome having you on the Circuit of Success podcast. Where can our listeners find more of you at jeffreyshaw.com, I assume? That's it. Start there. And uh, you know, you'll find your way to everything else that I do. All right. Well, Jeffrey, it's been great having you on the show. Uh, and, and thanks for joining us on the Circuit of Success. Brett, thank you very much. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.